to Luke. It comes in from um, the 10th chapter, verses 28 through 34. And you may recall uh, last week we left Jesus um, when Jesus was talking to a, a group of people and, and um, a lawyer asked Jesus, so what are the greatest commandments? And then Jesus said, uh, to love God, to love your neighbor. And then they went in conversation, what does it mean to be neighbor? And Jesus talked to them about the, the, good, the good Samaritan and story after that. And then afterwards, it says that now Jesus went on his way. So we pick up right after that. Jesus went on his way. So we presumably assume that they went on their way. So the disciples were with Jesus. And they entered into um, a woman's house. Her name was Martha. They went and entered into her house. A couple of things to remember there is that so Martha was feeding um, more than likely when she was feeding um, all uh, 13 of them. We can assume that she was feeding because hospitality at the time, when someone came to your home at that time, part of the hospitality was to offer them a meal. And the idea was that the women would um, make the meal and then they would serve the meal to the men. And then after the men ate, um, these visitors ate, then they would, um, then they would eat. That's the, the custom of the time. We also have to make um, the assumption that um, Martha was a home owner and that she owned this home. Uh, she was either probably a widow or she was a single lady, a lady who was well um, and had means of some sort. And she did not own the home and she lived with her brother Lazarus. They would have said, this is Lazarus' home. Or she had a husband. They would have said, this is the house of the, her husband's name. But they said, this is Martha's house. So this is a woman who had means um, and, her, and she was being responsible, uh, living into the hospitality of that time and place by making a meal for her visitors as they came in. Um, with all this in mind, I invite you now to listen to the word of God's word, to listen to God's word. Again, this is Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. You can find it in your New Testament section on page 72 in your, um, in your pew Bibles. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha uh, welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. But few things are needed, indeed only one. And Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. This text sets up the classic tension. The beers versus the doers. Martha, we are told, is too busy hosting Jesus in her home that she has no time to listen to Jesus. She was distracted by many things, Luke tells us. And in doing so, all she was, she has came to resent her sister Mary was hanging on every word that Jesus spoke and presumably ignoring all of her chores as well. Doing versus being. We hear this some with our youth trips. Some believe trips like Massanetta and Montreat, like the trip to church the youth went on this past week, are not the real work of the church. 
The, the youth, they say, the youth should be getting their hands dirty, seeing the world, experiencing life beyond their bubbles. They should be growing through experience, being the feet in the hands of Jesus Christ, doing mission in God's world. That is a real mission our youth should be involved in. This is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. While others argue, no, this is exactly where the youth should be, with all the pressure that the youth face today, with both anxiety and loneliness, an epidemic sweeping across our school systems. Time with other youth to listen to God, to learn theology, to talk about issues, to make friends and grow deeper in faith. This is exactly where our church youth should be. This is no different when our General Assembly with the PCUSA meets. This year on the agenda, there's a lot about doing and very little about being. Some argue this is exactly where the church should be. With all that's taking place in the world, and others say, no, no, our churches are dying. We need to be in a listening mode. In those years when the agenda looks the opposite, the arguments flip. Doers versus beers. It's an argument that goes beyond our denomination or, or church conferences, youth conferences versus mission trips. And there are about 2.3 million Christians in the world today. Of those, 260 million live in the United States. And within the United States, there are over 200 denominations. And so there's plenty of variety for us to choose from. However, as we divide ourselves politically within the United States, it's been my experience. Our churches are falling into two categories. There are the beers. Or one could say the churches of personal faith. The central concern for these churches is the, the internal sense of sin and forgiveness. A relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior with a focus on the right set of beliefs, habits, prayers, and scripture readings. Often they point to these practices and say, in question, if all the doers are really Christians at all, if their practices and theology do not fit within their right way, then they're also the doers. We may even call them the social activists. This group can even be a little cynical about devotion if that does not lead to translate to generosity or activism or justice. Often, they point to non-believers and proclaim they're acting more like Christians than all these beers. Being versus doing. Personal faith versus social justice. Jesus tells Martha, who is busy working, that Mary, who is at the feet of Jesus, is doing the better part. And all of us who are doing the right you know, all this doing the right, doing the right culture, I should say, is Jesus affirming the beers over the doors, personal faith over social justice? I don't think so. Uh, nor do I believe that he is saying the opposite to be true either. One year, a board university at uh, the campus ministry got to, got together. And they were talking about the, with the chapel staff about religious life on campus. And an older alumnist um, once on the, who's on the board asked, what are the students like these days anyway? 
And there was an awkward silence in the room, and finally a Methodist chaplain spoke up, and she said, well, I think you'll be pleased with our students. Uh, they are ambitious and career-oriented, of course. Uh, they also volunteer a great deal. They work in shelters, and they work in soup kitchens, they tutor after school, and they build houses for the poor. As she was going through this litany, the Jewish chaplain around the table started grinning more and more, and then he actually started chuckling. And finally, she stopped and she said, Eddie, what's so funny? And he said, look, I'm sorry. What you're saying is our students are good people. And you're right. They are good people. And you were saying that they do good work, and you're right about that, too. I was just here, here thinking, is the only thing they lack is a vision of salvation. Everyone looked at the table at their Jewish colleague. He continued, if you do not have some vision of the God who is redeeming our lives, then we cannot go up, get up every morning and go to a soup kitchen. We can't tutor underprivileged or build houses because sooner or later, it will just beat you down. Jesus is not telling us to stop our social activism. After all, the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus sends out 70 disciples to proclaim God's word. And right before the Martha and Mary, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan and says, then go and do likewise. Jesus gives us the great commission. He tells us to love one another by washing each other's feet. He says, you want to love me? Then go out and feed my lambs and care for my sheep. Page after page after page, the Bible calls us to hospitality. The Bible calls us to stand up for social justice. The Bible calls us to be the feet and the hands of Christ according to Jesus. This is non-negotiable. I can't believe that Jesus is not telling Mary, is telling Mary to stop doing her chores, to stop being hospitality. Or showing hospitality. To stop working and just spend her life sitting. Instead, though, notice. Notice what Martha is not doing. But where Mary is spending her time. It says that Mary is with Jesus. While Martha is working for Jesus. This is not about Mary versus Martha, or being versus doing, or personal faith versus social activism. No, if anything, this Mary and Martha story calls us to pause and to think about what it means to be for something and what it means to be with something. It's said that Mother Teresa was once approached by a young monk who shared with her that his vocation was to work for the lepers. I want to spend myself for the lepers, he said. As the story goes, she looked at him and replied, your vocation is not to work for lepers. Your vocation is to belong to Jesus. It would seem that for the word for, 
embodies not only being an admirable person, but it also appeared to, to summarize Christianity. When someone dies, we cook for the family. When there's a need in the community, the church is often the first to offer charity for the needy. We feel a friendship slipping away. We offer something for them in order to hold on to that love. These gestures are good, and they're kind, and they're generous, and most often they're loving and noble, and we should continue doing them. But somehow, they don't get to the heart of the problem. We give a friend a gift. We wear ourselves out showing them hospitality. We do everything we can for them. We never actually have the conversation with why our friendship was slipping. So eventually it just fades. We make fine gestures of charity, but the poor are still strangers to us. We cook for those that are grieving. They still sit at home alone. For, as I recently read, it's a fine word. It does not dismantle the resentment. It does not overcome misunderstanding. It does not deal with alienation. It does not overcome isolation. Most of all, for is not the way that God relates to us. God does not simply set the world straight for us. God does not simply shower us with all the good things. God does not mount up blessing upon blessing upon blessing and then leave when things do not go God's way. For that is at the heart of God. In some ways, I wonder if we wish that God would just do things for us. It would seem it would make things a lot easier to have God make everything happy, to surround us with the perfect things, and when we get cross with God, it'd be easy to feel as if God is not keeping the divine bargain to do things for us now and forever. But that was never God's bargain. God comes to us with a different word. The word of God comes to you and to me is the word with. It's there at the very beginning. The word became flesh and lived with us. The angel says to Joseph, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This word with is the heart of the gospel. Over and over and over again, Jesus calls us to be with him. Even when they say that Jesus died on the cross for us, the cross reminds us that Jesus is with us on whatever cross that we are bearing, that Jesus is suffering with us. Jesus reminds us in his last words. He says to us, I will be with you to the end of the age. And there, at the very end of the Bible, the very last words, when the book of Revelation describes the final disclosure of God's everlasting destiny, this is what the voice of heaven says, Behold, the home, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them as their God, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them.
Jesus calls Martha and all of us doers away from the chores for Jesus. Because Jesus does not need us to do anything for him. Jesus came to be with us. And God wants none of us to be alone. Ironically, this is the fear that many of us beers have. That we will spend eternal life away from God. In the essence, our fear is that to spend eternal life alone. So we focus on personal salvation, which sounds a lot like working for our own salvation. But we're not our saviors. Jesus is our savior. And Jesus is not calling us to be with him sometime in the future. But Jesus is calling us to be with him now. And it's a lot harder to give up this control and be with Jesus instead of for Jesus. For when I am in control of my salvation, it means that God looks a lot like me instead of me being made in the image of God. Four things we have to move anxiously, quickly, anxiously on from being quiet and listening and reading so we can hurriedly live for something. Four also comes without conversations, without real relations, without general shaping of life. And general shaping of life is what Jesus is after that day with Martha and Mary to reshape their life just like Jesus is after that with us today reshaping our lives, preparing us for that day when we come to the terms that we actually have no control at all. This is where Jesus meets Martha later in his ministry. Martha and Mary uh, meet Jesus um, as Jesus as Martha and Mary's um, brother dies. And Martha is still Martha. She's worried about the stench in the tomb, and she's worried about how she's going to feed all the people who came to mourn his death. But it's also Martha who evokes from Jesus the very heart of the good news that we share every single Sunday and the good news that we stand on every single day. Martha runs to Jesus, and without backing down, she says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And with some humility, then she adds, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Your brother will rise again, Jesus says. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day, she replies back. Jesus then said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said. Yes, Lord, I believe you that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And that is why we're bold enough to gather here every single Sunday and proclaim the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And while we're bold enough at a funeral to give thanks for a life well lived without simultaneously being witnesses to the resurrection, and why in a world that so desperately wants to divide us, that we stand with boldness and we proclaim, we can't be divided between beers and doers. Because it's with the resurrection hope that being becomes doing. 
and that personal faith becomes uh, social activism. And four becomes with, with people in poverty and distress, even when there's nothing that we can care for them. And with people in grief and sadness and loss, even when there's nothing to say. And with people as we listen and walk with them, even those that we find rather difficult to sit and walk with. And with God in silent prayer, rather than rushing in our own anxiety to do yet more things for God. His promise to you and to me and to everyone in this room is to be with us until the end of the ages. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.